The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye. Welcome to the Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye, a PapaChulaRadio.com original series. PapaChula Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Tuesday, December 7th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on Disney Plus's Hawkeye. Please welcome my co-host, Professor X. I've been thinking about your branding issue. I, I think about it all the time. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 3, which was titled Echoes and debuted December 1st, 2021 via Disney+. Plus. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. After narrowly escaping the tracksuits and their daunting leader, Maya Lopez, Clint and Kate work together to find answers. With each step they take, however, they find themselves sliding deeper into a rapidly growing conspiracy. Dun-dun-dun. I felt it needed that after that last line. So, let's jump into this. And we start off, actually in the past, in the year 2007, and we see a young Maya... Through, through her eyes, actually. You know, we see what her life is like as a kid with her very protective father, her mysterious uncle. And, and then we flash forward to the night in which it appears as if the Ronin kills uh, uh, her father as well as his, um, let's call them co-workers. So, Professor, talk to me about the opening. What did you think? Uh, any surprises? Did you enjoy the direction that they took, especially uh, giving us you know, that, that opening, really from Maya's perspective? It was a very interesting choice. Um, you know, it, it is odd to have spend so much of the episode basically humanizing your villain uh, because, you know, at, at the end of the last episode, it was looking like Maya was assume, presumably going to be the big bad or at least, you know, uh, their their major opponent. Um, and so to open up this episode with her backstory and, you know, a very sensitive backstory, you know, sort of explaining who she is and, and all of that and giving a motivation for her hatred of Ronan uh, was really an interesting choice. Um, it worked on me. I find, you know, I, you know, I, I, I really, you know, I, I find myself, you know, it's, it's a little early to be hoping for a redemption arc, uh, for Maya, but, uh, I'm pulling for it. I think, you know, the, the actress they've got playing her is really good. I think I read somewhere that the, uh, the, the child actor who plays the younger version of her is actually the actress's real life cousin, um, which is kind of cool. Um, it, it is interesting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's obvious who her uncle is. It's, it's Kingpin. I mean, that, that had to be Vincent D'Onofrio's voice. 
uh, you know, uh, you know, chuckling uh, when he was, you know, uh, there. So I think it's 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 quite obvious that we're going to be getting Kingpin. Oh, one hundred percent. Even if it wasn't Vincent D'Onofrio's voice, even if they had just recast him, which I don't think they did, um, it, just the the physicality, you know, the physique uh, was clearly meant to imply Kingpin or you know to express Kingpin. Um, Little Maya was adorable. She was fantastic. Um, the reveal that Maya, as a character, um, ha- is an amputee, was interesting. Because I, I don't know if, if Echo... I know in the, in the comics, from what I've read, Echo is deaf. But I don't know if she's also an amputee. So, so adding that element into the show, I thought was interesting. Because um, we have all these characters... Uh, that have uh, disabilities. You know, we have Clint that has uh, hearing issues. Uh, he's wearing um, a, a a hearing aid. We have Maya, who is deaf uh, completely, and she's also an amputee. We also have a pizza dog, uh, who is, um, it looks like he's missing an eye, um, or, or she, I don't know, uh, pizza dog is a boy or a girl but um but yeah i thought that was interesting i mean kate doesn't appear to have one uh so it's it's fascinating that they're sort of they they have cast or they have a cast of characters that have uh, disabilities and and sort of you know i i i think it's an interesting message Professor. Well, Kate is dealing with the crippling sense of entitlement. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, yeah. Her it, does, so it weighs heavily on her shoulders. Yeah. No, I do think that's an interesting uh, point about, you know, the uh, disabilities and the fact that, you know, aside from in this episode, you know, where Clint is dealing with the loss of his hearing aid, uh, you know, none of these things are stopping people from being accomplished. In Maya's mm-hmm. case, her deafness doesn't hold her back. In fact, she regards it as, you know, um, as, as almost a, you know, a badge of honor. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, Even a strength. Uh, yeah. Well, indeed, they're sort of explaining in the comics, Echo's superpower is that she can, you know, observe any move that someone does against her in a fight and immediately copy it. They're sort of explaining it here in the sense that maybe it's not a superpower as such, but maybe it's just that she's had to be so much more observant. And you can sort of see that both in her fight as, uh, as a kid and in her uh, fight as a grown up, um, uh, which was interesting. Uh, but, yeah, like even the idea of, you know, uh, Lucky is missing an eye. Um, uh, it, it is kind of uh, interesting, but as I say, you know, none of them are, it's not holding anyone back. And even when Clint loses his hearing aid, you know, it does make it more difficult to communicate with Kate, but it doesn't affect him or his fighting ability in any way. So I think that's, you know, a fairly, you know, a, a sort of, you know, low key, clever, progressive, uh, element, uh, in, in this. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. So outside of the fact that Maya was just freaking adorable, as a child, the other side of this flashback, the one where we jump ahead to where she's an adult and she witnesses the Ronin uh, killing her father as well as his um, his goons, his goonmates, his you know his co baddies. Uh, my question for you, Professor, is because we get all of this from Maya's perspective. So we don't necessarily see Clint as Ronan doing this. Now, during the Ronan era, Clint was doing stuff like this, you know, taking out uh, criminal syndicates 
and all that kind of stuff. So it, is, it, it isn't shocking that Ronan would do this. But I'm kind of wondering, Professor, if as a way to, uh, you know, um, what would be the right word? To, to um, save Maya in the present day, could we find out that that was not Clint, but a Ronin copycat? Do you think? No, I, th no? I, think, I think you're really struggling with that. Okay. I mean, the idea is that the sword was one of a kind. Um, and I think that would really be undercutting it, because I think part of of the Hawkeye thing is, is going to be Clint is going to have to come to grips with his past. Oh, 100%. You know, I do agree with that. And and I think if we had the, the idea that it was a, uh, you know, a Ronin copycat or something like that, it would be letting him off the hook. So I don't, I really don't see them going that way. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, uh, you know, Clint has to deal with the consequences. And I think, you know, part of the weariness that we're seeing in him. It's not just, you know, the blip and fighting Thanos and all of that. It's, you know, he's he's got some trauma, uh, not just over, you know, losing that, but also about, you know, the realization of what he did. Uh, as Ronan, everyone else got to disappear and come back five years like nothing had happened. Clint went through a, you know, a, a, a really dark night of the soul. Um, and, you know, uh, certainly in terms of what we've seen, you know, of his on-screen time, we haven't seen him deal with that or deal with the consequences of it um so i, I think that uh, that they have to make that now they don't necessarily have to have you know him admit to having been the ronin himself but i think the idea that it was someone else wearing the costume would just be a cop out okay i don't disagree with you uh, i think it was during the second episode last week where i mentioned that, that we were going to have to get a ronin reckoning with clint uh because it seems like you know, he has to at least completely atone for what he did, or at least, you know, he has to get closure with that portion of his life. Uh, but I was wondering, because some people online were like, could that be a way to uh, to maybe um, give Maya closure? I don't know what they were saying, but it was it was an interesting theory, so I figured I'd bring it up as a just-in-case if it does end up going that direction i don't think it will though but um yeah we're, we're gonna have to wait and see how they deal with this because clearly maya wants revenge there's another character out there that wants revenge as well but we haven't seen that one just yet uh but yeah she's she's out there uh so let's talk about where we pick up the episode which is exactly where we left off at the the abandoned toy shop in which Clint and Kate are strapped to those little, um, you know, those little, uh, um, I don't know what they're actually called, but they're outside of the supermarkets. It's the writable contraptions that kids enjoy. You know, sometimes they're dragons or horses and you put coins in it and um, they're entertained for like 90 seconds based off of like maybe 75 cents, but they're strapped to those. Uh, we see a little bit of the inner workings of uh, the tracksuit mafia in all of their ridiculata, and there is an escape. There is a fight sequence in uh, the toy shop where Clint does get uh, his hearing aid knocked out, and it gets smushed. So, Professor, let's talk about everything that happens in the abandoned toy shop. Your thoughts? 
Well, one thing that's interesting about Hawkeye that I think is making it, uh, you know, uh, really stand out is you're noticing a real stylistic difference. It's almost like watching, you know, a DC TV show because there they bring in different directors and you really get the feeling of a different director's hand uh, on the till. You've got action directors and you've got you know, plot directors and so on and so forth. Um, the uh, the action in this episode was, you know, uh, it, it was just a leap above what we saw. Now, partially that's, you know, the scripting and what was called for, but just the the creative shooting of it. Uh, and the setting up of it, you know, felt completely different. This was, you know, clearly uh, a director or a pair of directors in this case who are much more in the action vein. Uh, I thought it was great, you know, the idea that, you know, at one point Clint was, you know, uh, fighting the tracksuit mafia off by using stuffed animals. Uh, and then Echo, uh, interestingly, you know, used a stuffed animal, uh, a unicorn on him. And he'd been sitting on a unicorn. Hmm, coincidence? Almost certainly. I uh, know it was a great fight. And, you know, the, you know, the, the payoff for the fact that, and again, the idea that, you know, Echo doesn't allow her, you know, quote, disabilities, end quote, uh, to define her or hold her back. The fact that the only time, you know, the fact that she, she's missing her leg uh, comes into play is when Clint tries to take her out by hitting the leg and nothing happens. And, you know, his reaction to that is what gives her the opportunity to then use that leg to kick him upside the head. Um, it, it really is interesting. The, um, that, the initial, you know, uh, questioning scene uh, with Clint was really interesting as well. Um, you know, her, her talking about, you know, you, you don't need the, uh, the hearing aid, you know, you might find her better without it, um, uh, was an interesting approach. Uh, her sort of, you know, going after uh, Kate. But then the idea that, uh, you know, it's, it's clear that there is someone above her because, you know, uh, you know, uh, Kazi, you know, sort of stepping in, basically stopping her from, you know, uh, doing anything serious to Kate uh, or Clint and even them insisting on, you know, uh, you know, get them alive. Uh, you know, does suggest that there is, you know, someone above them. But no, it was it was a, a really fun, cleverly shot uh, and choreographed fight scene. You know, a bit unrealistic, uh, except that, you know, you did have it, you know, starting off with Kazi telling them, you know, don't kill them, don't kill them, which sort of, you know, explains how Clint was able to uh, to get away with them uh, so easily. So, you know, I really liked it, especially, you know, possibly my favorite scene was, you know, Clint hiding in the ball pit and just, you know, lunging up like, you know, a creature from the Black Lagoon uh, to stab the guys in the feet. Oh, totally. Yeah, it was a really well-done action set piece. Um, if we did not have what's coming next, this could have been, you know, like the highlight action sequence of this episode because it was so interesting. It was a lot of fun, uh, if, if I can say that. Yeah, well, they were in a toy shop, you know, using the elements at hand. So that would that made it like really almost um brawl-ish because you know it's not like they went in you know with a whole bunch of uh, of of tricks to play with they really have to use the atmosphere around them and I thought that was really interesting it g- gave me sort of like an agent carter vibe um a, the television series agent carter she would just have to use whatever was in the room with her as a weapon and that's what we were seeing at this uh, abandoned toy shop before i move on there's something that's brought up later in the episode that i figure i should ask now later on kate basically tells um tells clint you know, so what's going on with that dude and Maya? <laughs> and we got a lot of that in this section. So I'll ask the question now, Professor. What's going on with that dude, Kazi, and Maya? What do you think? 
I don't know. I would assume that he's not a member of the tracksuit mafia per se. Uh, I would assume that he's more the go-between between Maya and her uncle, uh, you know, who we all know is Kingpin. Um, so he's, you know, just the idea that, you know, he's the one guy that knows ASL. He's probably someone who Kingpin brought in, you know, in order to be, you know, sorry for the pun here, his eyes and ears, uh, you know, on the ground to keep an eye on his uh, his niece and, uh, you know, ensure that, you know, she gets the respect she deserves and can be the communicator so that she can, you know, uh, you know, work effectively with the tracksuit mafia. Uh, anything beyond that? Boy, it is interesting. I, I there There does seem to be a vibe there. Um, now this could just be the vibe that, you know, I always complain about people saying, you know, when two, you know, appropriately attractive people of the appropriate age are thrown together on screen, we just assume that they're going to end up, you know, uh, knocking boots. Uh, I don't know. It does certainly seem, um, especially in the second scene they had together, uh, you know, after when they're, uh, you know, uh, leaving the building, um, it did certainly seem that, uh, you know, it, it was more than just an employer employee relationship, even though she did sort of shut him down with the who's really in charge here. But if it turns out that he's the guy who's reporting to Kingpin, then he's not as, you know, uh, low down the pecking order as she might think. So I, I would not be surprised to see something, some sort of payoff come from that. Um, and, you know, they have been showing this guy in every episode, as Kate referred to him as the hot guy. Uh, you know, they have been sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, letting the camera linger on him. So he has to play some more important role than just a member of the tracksuit mafia. Yeah, I I agree. So I wonder what that is. I do like the the idea that he is maybe the liaison between her and her uncle, because we do also have a line from him in this episode later on where he's like, you know, your uncles might not like what you're doing, you know, this obsession with the Ronin. So, Professor, I think you uh, you probably hit the nail on the head because um, it seems as if either he's the liaison, it seems like he also might be a little bit fearful of her uncle as well, which maybe she isn't because she sees her uncle as her uncle. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he's like, he's, he's practically family, so I'm not afraid of him. But uh, there seemed to be real concern when he brought, at, brought that up. Did you catch that as well? Yeah, it, it's also curious because, you know, when they were having that conversation, uh, Kazi also mentioned her father, you know, talking about, you know, because her father must have been sort of like a low level, uh, you know, mafia guy uh, as well, uh, because he said he always put the crew first, uh, whereas, uh, you know, uh, Maya hadn't done that. So it's interesting now whether he this was just that, you know, Kazi had heard about, um, you know, her father or, you know, maybe Kazi disappeared with the blip in the blip so he's you know five years younger than everyone else uh but did it was interesting in that he seems to be someone who has experience both with her father and knows and her uncle so as i say it, it seems you know that you know he's much more than just more than just another member of the mafia I, I, the tracksuit mafia i think he has to be uh someone who's more highly connected uh and, and probably reporting back on what's happening with her uh to kingpin yes i'm i co-sign all of that yeah, clearly he's important. He actually has been given a lot more lines than the rest of the talk, the the the, the tracksuit mafia uh, sort of hench people. So uh, yeah, I'm interested to see where things go with him. Also, it mentioned that he works for later on in the episode. It mentions that he works for a company named Sloan, which did not ring any comic book bells for me. But I'm willing to bet that will turn out to be the uh, the Kingpin's organization. Very nice. 
I like it. I'm here for it. Speaking of things I'm here for, let's talk about one of the best damn car chases that I've seen this year, as well as in a Disney Plus series, period. It was, what was it, like seven-ish, seven, eight minutes long? It was spectacular. There was this whole thing where we were in the car spinning around, getting every different angle of what was going down. Um, There was spectacular Christmas music. An inflatable Santa was uh, run over, but miraculously popped back up alive. Christmas trees were flung everywhere. There were so many damn trick arrows. I think everybody that watched gasped when we saw the PIM logo on an arrow. Um, Good grief. There's so much to discuss here, Professor. So I'm just going to let you have at it. The car chase. What did you think of it? Uh, It was amazing, especially, you know, the sort of, you know, uh, almost knowing insider, almost a wink to camera. Oh, I'm not going to take the, uh, uh, the the Charger because that's a classic, beautiful car, and I'm not going to wreck it. And then having it get wrecked, of course, it's going to get wrecked. Um, oh, but it was it was again. I mentioned before, you know, there are directors who are just really good at action, and this was very creatively shot. You mentioned, you know, the fact that they they had to have had like you know some sort of 360 degree camera unit set up. There's no way a human camera person, you know, could have shot from the back seat and gotten those those shots that they were getting where it was basically just rotating through 360 degrees repeatedly. Um, now, and again, I, I have no idea how much of that was done, you know, in camera, how much of that. You know, they can do so much with CG. A lot of that could have been CG'd or could have been stitched together from multiple takes. I don't know. Uh, but it certainly felt real in the moment. Like that opening shot with no cuts that I could see and no real spots where I could see where you could hide a cut. Because uh, usually when you're watching an uninterrupted shot like that, you can spot the points where there's a, there could be a scene that has to be covered. Uh, it went on for at least a minute of just that sort of rotating from the backseat shot uh, without a break. And, uh, you know, for something like that to happen, everything has to be perfectly choreographed. You know, the the window has to smash at exactly the right moment. The other window has to smash. The cars have to be in the right location when it spins around to the back of the shot. I mean, the choreography or something like that, uh, it it beggars the imagination how you could, you know, schedule something like that, you know, to come out so perfectly. Because so often what we're seeing, you know, in action shots is, you know, you know, very fast cutting. Uh, and when it's fast cutting, it, you know, you can hide a lot of mistakes because you can simply hide it on the edits. Uh, with something like this, where it has to be planned out that thoroughly and executed so perfectly, uh, it was just an amazing piece of film. And, and as you say, you know, one of the, the most amazing action scenes we've had, I think, in the, uh, um, the, the Disney Plus uh, Marvel shows so far. I, I can't just off the top of my head think, you know, there were, there were some great fight scenes in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, and some really great set pieces in Loki, but I don't think anything compares to, you know, just the sort of, you know, uh, the naked realism uh, of this scene, uh, you know, how real it felt and yet how crazy, you know, as you say, the trick arrows were great. Uh, my favorite was probably the one that grabbed all the trees and just, you know, <laughs> brought them back in. Uh, what do you call that one? Uh, or the, the USB arrow. Um uh, yeah, and, you know, it, it's also interesting, like, even in the midst, you know, while on the one hand, it was just a great action scene, a great set piece, a, a great car chase, it was also playing off the notion of communication. 
you know, that uh, that Clint and um, and Kate were, you know, uh, at the beginning of it, not communicating at all because, you know, obviously, you know, Clint couldn't hear her. By the end of it, they were actually communicating reasonably well. You know, they were sort of getting in sync. They were working together effectively, um, which I think was, you know, a sort of a, a more subtle element uh, to the car chase. That on the one hand, you can be, you know, blown away by the, the bravura uh, filmmaking of it. But on the other hand, there is still that character stuff going on, which I thought was was really nicely done. And they, they played off each other. There were some great funny lines like talking about the plunger arrow or or the USB arrow or uh, or all of those things. You know, there was, there was a lot of humor and a lot of character work even though it was like an absolutely fantastic action sequence as well. Yes, it was a visual feast. It was spectacular. It was suspenseful. It was fun. It was everything. Like I did notice a couple of green screen moments, uh, but for the most part, it, it felt real. It felt real life, like, you know, they they were just driving around and all this shit was happening. I did notice what you were saying, Professor, in the first minute. Everything was just synced perfectly. Like, it, it seemed as if, at least in this take, who knows how many times they did this, but everybody hit their marks. The cars, you know, they they, you know, stopped at the right times, like when they had to spin around and all that kind of stuff. It was just spectacular. It was fantastic. Props to everybody involved in it because, wow, it was just stellar. It was completely unexpected. And the fact that it went on for so long and it was still hella interesting. Props to them. I mean, they they tried to have their Fast and Furious moment and I would say they were incredibly successful in doing that because wow it was just amazing and unfortunately Maya you know she was lumped in with all those tracksuits you know they did allow Maya to be just a hair bumbling in that moment I mean she seemed like really strong and a formidable foe when they were at the toy factory uh, or the toy shop, abandoned toy shop. Um, you know, in this moment, she she was just one of the tracksuits, unfortunately. You know, just sort of like bumbling their way through it. Uh, you know, trying to not let those arrows uh, affect her, as, as the others were not letting them affect them. But, yeah, certainly this was the moment when Clint and Kate shined bright. So... Moving on from this, uh, there's a lot of small things that end up happening uh, before we get to the end of the episode. Uh, sort of like the main thing is that Clint does end up getting his hearing aid fixed. But even before and after that, the this sort of section of the episode, before they have a plan to go back to, um, to uh, Kate's... Uh, mother's residence and to sort of uh, start uh, digging in on some of these tracksuits. The focus really is on Clint and Kate. There's a little bit of humor, you know, because Clint can't hear and, and also Clint might also be purposely uh, ignoring Kate since, uh, you know, he, he, he can't hear her ramblings and that sort of thing. What did you think of Clint and Kate together uh, throughout the rest of the episode, but before we get to uh, the residence. Well, it, it's interesting. You know, we mentioned, you know, there was, you know, the opening, you know, uh, the echo flashback. 
where we find out uh, about Maya. But aside from that, uh, you know, after they uh, they get out of the uh, thing, the, pretty much the entire episode from that point on is just Kate and Clint. You know, and, and, you know, it's very different from the previous episode where they were off doing their own thing. In this one, they are thrown together and they are forced to stay together for pretty much the entire episode. So you really do get them playing off of each other. You got that sort of, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the, the almost brattiness of Kate, which, again, is, is comic book accurate, so I don't mind it, where, you know, it's a good thing they call you Hawkeye, not Hawk Ear. Uh-huh. And, uh, and Clint's line, you know, you know, <laughs> you know delete. Um uh, and uh, um, the the scene in as you were mentioning, sort of you know in the uh, in the diner, uh, they're allowed to just have the dog sitting there at the table. I don't know about that. I don't know what New York's uh, you know uh, you know laws on you know animals in restaurants is like, but uh, I was a little surprised by that. But yeah, as you mentioned, you know the idea that he's you know intentionally left his hearing aid off. So you know we're we're sort of coming out of the previous scene. We don't know that he's gotten his hearing aid fixed. So we're watching it and we're seeing. Um, you know, Kate basically chattering on as Kate tends to do. And Clint is just sitting there and it's, it's done in silence. Uh, and then we realize it's because he hasn't turned his hearing aid on. And she actually notices and calls him on. Did you have that off this entire time? And he just glosses over it. So again, they're really developing the dynamic. It's, it's, it's not quite father-daughter. It's not quite, um, you know, buddy cop level. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, as I've said before, it's like those Looney Tunes cartoons of the, uh, the big, you know, quiet dog and the little yappy dog. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I, I'm really, really enjoying it. You know, it is delightful. And that scene where, again, where she's talking about his branding problem and basically shows him the costume, which is, you know, pretty comics accurate for, you know, being a bad drawing of a comics accurate costume. Uh, and he also, you know, does sort of bring out that idea that, you know, he's, He's been a ghost. He's a guy who's not supposed to draw attention. And that's really sort of, you know, drawing out that thing that we've seen, that Clint is not comfortable being in this situation. And I think part of that is, you know, as we said before, it's, it's you know, so he has all of these people, you know, you're an Avenger, you're a hero, we love you, but he knows what he did as Ronan, uh, you know, during that time that no one talks about. And he also knows that, you know, losing, uh, you know, Black Widow, uh, you know, what that meant to him. And I think what we're seeing now is that a lot of it is, you know, and I don't want to, you know, say PTSD unnecessarily, but it's, it is him having to come to terms with that. And I think that's, that is going to be a big part of it. And perhaps having him, you know, um, admit to Kate by the end of, of, of the series that, you know, you know, I'm not the hero you think I am. You know, I was the Ronin. I was the one who was killing all of these people. I did some very, very bad things. Um, and I think he's going to have to, uh, admit that and, and confess you know, just for his own sake as well as anyone else's. But um, that said, you know, that, that's getting, you know, a little dark and a little heavy. But, you know, the, the vibe between them is is phenomenal. I mean, the the casting of those two uh, or the casting of, of Haley Steinfeld, I expected she'd be a good Kate Bishop, but I didn't expect this kind of, you know, um, connection uh, with Clint's character. So I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's a lot that really needs to happen between now and and the final episode. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're on the third one, so we have three left. Um, so one of these episodes is going to have to be a heavy episode uh, where Clint really goes in to, like, what he did. And I think, as you said, Professor, Kate is going to be the one that he has to, quote-unquote, confess to. He's going to have to confess to her and uh, and that's going to be the way that he's going to really um, 
come to to face what he did during the Ronin era. And that's going to be interesting to see. Because Kate's reaction to it, uh, Clint's remorse for it, you know, it, it's it's going to be an interesting scene. And, and I hope that we get that, hopefully in episode 5 at the latest. Because I feel like it, that's going to be way too heavy for it to be a final episode thing. You know, we're going to have to get a moment where maybe Kate feels, um, you know, confused, like, you know, did I pick the right person to be a hero? Or she's going to be like, you know what, you did what you did, because everybody coped in the way that they did during that time, you know, or something. I feel like she she's going to have the right thing to say to him, to sort of like, you know, make him come to terms with why he did it, and, and, and that sort of thing. I have to wait and see, but um, I'm looking forward to it because I think Clint, as a character, needs that, and um, it, it's going to make sense, you know, after all this time of them bonding, that he would confess it to her versus um, anyone else. Stay tuned. Oh, I know apparently episode five is going to be big, so listeners, stay tuned for that as well. Um, one thing that I want to bring up before you even get to the end, Professor, is. Um, how this production, out of all of the productions, I'm like trying to go through my brain. Yes, I feel like this production has given us really the feel of a six-hour movie more than any of the other Disney Plus series. And uh, I'm enjoying that. You know, everything really is flowing at a brisk pace and i think it might also be that they've given us the the christmas deadline so everything is feeling in i don't want to say real time because real time means that you know the 45 minutes that we watched it would have been 45 minutes in the life of what they're doing but it's giving us a a good flow in what we're watching like there really aren't any dull spots there aren't slow spots like Everything feels, uh, you know, uh, w with the tension sort of, you know, taken to the nth degree because not only does Clint have, uh, you know, the, the Christmas deadline, but everything seems to be happening and, 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 and um, the, the, the direction in which we're going seems to be going into some sort of direction where we know something big is going to happen before the end of this series. And, and I'm really enjoying that vibe. More so, uh, we're getting that movie vibe, although, you know, like, let's say Falcon and the Winter Soldier was incredibly cinematic and this or that or the other, you know, the um, cliffhangers were interesting, but the type of cliffhangers that we're getting here, you know, we're really picking up, like, right at the second where we left off. For the most part, I know that we had a flashback at the start of the episode, but after the opening title card, we really pick up exactly where we left off. So uh, I'm enjoying the pace. The pacing is interesting. I don't know if you've noticed the pacing. Or, you know, know I, 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 I'm, I'm generally enjoying the pacing. I think it's, you know, it's very fast, but as I said, they still have time for the character moments, which I like. There was, you know, the great scene where... Um, you know, um, before uh, Clint gets his hearing aid repaired, uh, when he's on the phone with his son and he can't hear his son and Kate steps in to basically, you know, translate uh, using, you know, uh, letters that were clearly not written 
by Kate. Uh, you know, there's no way she could write that fast and that neatly. Uh, you know, it's it's basically impossible. Um, but uh, you know, it, and again, showed that you know Kate, for all that she is, you know, mocking him and you know the Hawkeye Hawk ear, uh, you know, and stuff like that. You know, she is basically a good person at heart. You know, she is a little spoiled. She is a little self entitled. Um, but she is, you know, a caring person. And you know, sort of see her, you know, just very sort of quietly step up and do that for him. You know, without being asked to realize that this is. You know, a way that I can help um, was really good. And even having, you know, Clint at the end of it, you know, basically just thanking her for that, you know, was to uh, to acknowledge uh, what she did. Um, so, again, we're getting those those great character moments in with the action. I'm not sure I agree that, you know, it, it felt this episode to me uh, more so than the previous episodes. The ending of it felt really truncated. Um, it just seemed to, you know, stop out of nowhere. So I'm I'm not sure I agree that uh, this one the pacing of this one was was great right up until the end. Um, it felt you know almost like something was missing, but uh, but that said, it, it was a great you know cliffhanger. Well, let's talk about the cliffhanger. So we head to the Bishop residence, that gorgeous uh, I'll call it Park Avenue penthouse type of situation. Uh, I love how, like, the sort of setup to this is we're going to go, like, you know, infiltrate my mom's. I mean, they just walked in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they were quiet. They were kind of maybe sneaking a little bit. But, I mean, she fucking lives there. I mean, how can you infiltrate where you live? But it sounded kind of dramatic and fancy, and I think Kate was really into it. So I think that's why she worded it the way that she did. But I'm like, come on. Like, you can't infiltrate your home. But anyway, she she ends up going into the computer system, and she's got the codes, and she starts researching Kazi. I have no idea how they knew his last name, and I have no idea how she spelled it properly. But she did, and she knew it, and she looked him up, and that's when uh, she found the Sloan, um, you know, uh, uh, thing that, that you said, hmm... Maybe this is Kingpin's op- operation in the MCU proper now. And uh, while all that's going down, she also, because she's stuck on Jack. She is stuck on Jack, has to be involved. She feels like Jack is the person that ended up murdering Armand Third, And so she's going to... She's going to research him, but there are roadblocks. It seems like her password or whatever code she has is not working. She's trying to fix that situation. Uh, Clint is mesmerized by the home. There is a fantastic line that was delivered beautifully by Jeremy Renner where he was like, damn, like, I signed up for the wrong line of work because <laughs> he was in awe, marveling uh, over this home. He hears something. He goes to investigate. And there is Jack with the Ronin um, sword, retractable sword. Uh, and uh, the sword is right is pressed up against uh, Clint's neck. And that's where we leave things. The professor said it was a little, um, maybe the pacing was off. I didn't mind it just because they seem to keep on doing this where, you know, we get to a point where something happens and then it's like, you know, pause. It's almost like if you're watching a really long movie, like let's say you're watching uh, the, the Lord of the Rings, the extended version of, of, you know, the Lord of the Rings, and then you just pause it to go make some more popcorn, and then you unpause, and then that's kind of like seeing the next episode. 
Um, so I didn't mind it. I was wanting more because this episode was just 45 minutes. And I feel like all these episodes should be an hour length just because uh, the, uh, who was it? I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Kevin Feige. It was like, oh, these are going to be six hour long you know, six-hour-long uh, series, this, that, or the other. I don't think we've ever gotten a fully six-hour-long Disney Plus series. Even if you combined all the nine episodes of WandaVision, if you combine the six episodes of uh, of um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, the six episodes of Loki, you know, individually, those were not six-hour-long productions, you know, because we've never gotten, like, full one-hour episodes each for for those series well wandavision would have been 30 minutes but you know what i'm saying so so it's like oh man i wanted more i wanted more i wanted more because it was so much fun uh, so professor well, and even to say mm-hmm. it's a 45 minute episode you know there's probably eight minutes of credits and we get the eight minutes for every episode yeah so, that you is know, true. That's, that's taking collectively off to so to call it a you know, a six-hour movie is is a bit disingenuous. Yeah, it is. So, because um, it would be nice if we if we got like the final episode of the series um, or season, depending on if it gets more seasons, um, to be like an hour and a half. Like, if you're gonna be trimming and have forty-five minutes episodes here, fifty minutes episodes there, um, you know, we deserve an hour and a half at the end. I'm just saying. I mean, it's been a whole lot of fun. So, Professor, your thoughts on the end, what it means, are you still rooting for the idea that Jack is an innocent, did Jack not kill Armand? I'm going to throw this out there. Did well, did um, Eleanor kill Armand? Uh, I don't know if Eleanor did or Eleanor paid someone to do it, but I, I'm convinced that uh, that Jack did not do it. Um, I did, you know, enjoy, uh, you know, Kate's line, you know, basically mirroring what you said last week. You know, you know, w- when trying to explain why Jack is is a killer, he tried to give me a butterscotch. I know. Mm, yes, that's a very clear. Yes, all those grandparents who are obviously killers. Yes, um, they are. But, uh, no, I, I, it was a good scene. It was just, it did sort of, you know, after all of the action, uh, you know, to just have the episode end with, you know, computer stuff and, you know, walking around the apartment. Um, you know, and also, you know, why didn't, you know, they brought Lucky in with them, didn't they? Why didn't Lucky, you know, spot uh, uh, him and, and save the day as Lucky should? Um, but, no, I think, and, and, and again, I think, you know, in re- I think looking back on this after, you know, whatever happens next week, I think it'll be important because I think there's going to be a reveal with Jack. You know, whether it is comic book accurate that Jack is the one who trained Clint in how to use a sword or whether it's something else that they find out about him will be something that, you know, they, they didn't want to give away in this episode. So in that respect, you know, the, the cliffhanger, I think, worked. Um, but, yeah, it just felt to me a little, you know, kind of, you know, after all the action, all the character stuff, too. You know, it was sort of like, you know, the, the last bit of it, you know, uh, the end of it, you, you weren't we weren't getting the same vibe, the same fun dynamic between them. And then it just sort of, you know, it, it felt like they were just more building to the, uh, the cliffhanger uh, than anything else. So for me, it, it didn't end as strongly as it might have. But everything up to that point, I thought was great. OK, I have a follow up question for you. But before I ask that follow up, I have a different follow up because you've called the dog lucky twice. Is that comic book accurate? Was that a mistake? He is Lucky the Pizza Dog in the comics. Oh, okay, Lucky the Pizza Dog. Okay. Lucky all... is his name. Pizza Dog is his appellation. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. 
Okay, so that, that helps me understand uh, everything now. So, uh, the follow-up is... So, this episode started a little strange, because we did get that flashback at the start of the episode. Do you want to make a bold prediction that the next episode will start off maybe with a Jack-centric flashback? I don't think so. Uh, although, it would be interesting, because if you think about it, you know, the way that the previous episode ended was with We Meet Echo. Uh, and then the next episode, we get the flashbacks or explaining her. But I don't think we'll get that uh, with Jack. Um, I think, I, and again, it, part of that is I don't know how they're using Jack. Is Jack going to be the swordsman? Is he going to be, um, you know, as I speculated, maybe even the shield agent or something like that? I do think it's interesting that, you know, um, Kate was able to get all that information on uh, uh, on the, the tracksuit mafia guy. But when she tried to do something on Jack, she ran into a hardware problem. How interesting is that? Why would there be a problem when she's researching Jack uh, and and the system suddenly wouldn't work unless someone with access to, you know, really high level tech uh, was uh, was was thwarting her in some way or maybe the power broker or something along those lines. You know, if they wanted to tie it oh, in that God, way, not the power broker. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I mean, I do want to find that out. But until we find out, you know, what role they're going to have Jack play. Um, you know, I don't think he's just going to be, you know, uh, what we've seen so far. I think there has to be something more to that, whether that is tying into to Clint's backstory, uh, you know, the, you know, how he learned to fight, how he learned to, to use the bow so well and everything like that, because we haven't gotten any of that in the, uh, the movies. You know, he's always just been a shield operative. So, you know, will they go into the comic book well for, you know, uh, Jack or or anything else? And, you know, there, there's a lot. I mean, we still have three episodes left, but it seems like there's a lot of plates spinning right now uh you know there are things that we know we have to get there are people that we know we have to see uh and it does seem like there's a lot to be uh, mm-hmm. to be wrapped up in those three episodes there does um yeah and i do recall we always get to this point in a disney plus series where we are like there's so much left and they somehow figure out a way to do everything that we think it is so much to do over the course of three episodes. So I have faith in them that they will, uh, you know, at least give us a, a satisfying end to the series, you know, hopefully answering a majority of the questions that we have, whether it's the power broker though, or Mephisto, you know, hacking uh, Bishop security. We'll have to stay tuned. But um, I, I do feel like you might be right about Jack. We're going to have to wait and see. But um, I think if we're, we are going to get a moment in which Kate sees Jack in a different way, it's going to have to be in the next episode, I think. Um, and it could yeah. be, again, if we're getting back to that idea of, you know, maybe he's, you know, a S.H.I.E.L.D. person or something like that, Clint might recognize him as that. Uh, you know, because this would be the first time he's actually seeing who Jack is. Um, so we could get the the reveal that, you know, actually, no, Jack is uh, is one of the good guys. And, you know, and Kate's going to have to deal with that. And I think part of the reason they'll do it like that is, you know, Kate is pretty consistently convinced she's right and generally wrong. Um, so I think they're going to keep doing that for a while yet. Yes. Yeah, I co-sign that. The only thing that is slightly disappointing to me because it's way too predictable is having Eleanor be the bad guy. Like having her, you know, really be a very shady character. Cause it seems like it's always the hero's parents that are like involved in nefarious stuff. So 
I'm kind of disappointed that they're that they might be going in that direction. I know we've already said, you know, you don't you don't cast Vera Farmiga to be in, you know, a series just to be like the doting mother and that sort of thing. And and I get it. Like I love Vera. She is fantastic. I've seen her be evil and manipulative. I I said during the the premiere, you know, I loved her on Bates Motel. So I I've seen that side of her as an actor and it is fantastic. It is just a little disappointing to me that, you know, they're just going with evil parents as um that sort of trope in the MCU. We still don't know how deeply involved she is. You know, maybe she isn't as deeply involved. Maybe she'll be a, um, to sort of borrow a character from uh, the Arrowverse over on the CW. Maybe she'll be a Moira Queen type of person, or maybe even a Jada Jet type of person. Um, we're we're going to have to wait and see, but um, I feel like that trope gets ridiculously overused. So, um, you know, does a hero's journey need to include their parents being nefarious people? I guess maybe they they do. I don't know. Stay tuned. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know if you have any um, additional thoughts on that, Professor. Well, I think, you know, it, if, it depends, again, on what they do with that. Um, uh, I'm just going to jump ahead to my bold prediction. Uh, you know, the episode, the series will end with, uh, with, you know, Clint home for Christmas, uh, but Kate will be there with his family because Kate will be essentially, you know, adopted, you know, someone he's bringing in. But the reason she's going to be there is when she realizes that her mom is evil, she won't want to spend Christmas with her, obviously. Um, but, and that might end up that, you know, Kate, you know, repudiating her mother and no longer having access to all the money and the fancy schools and, and everything like that, uh, you know, because of realizing that it's tainted. Um, and that would be, you know, an important step for growing up because as her mother said to her in that first episode, you know, you're, you've always been young and rich, uh, you know, and you know, that's given you a warped view of reality. Um, you know, so for her to, to make the realization that the source of her money is, uh, is tainted and, and basically, you know, arguing for something else, uh, would be a, a big step towards growing up for Okay. I can see that. I can also see a version where it's it's her and her mother showing up, you know? <laughs> because she's a nice lady at the end of it all. She's probably not. But we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. Good grief. If she's in cahoots with Kingpin, there's no turning back, Eleanor. I'm just saying. No turning back. We also still have the sort of crack, uh, crackpot theory that her father's still alive out there somewhere. So uh, we'll see if that ends up happening. Stay tuned. Uh, Professor, any additional thoughts about the episode? Was there anything that I missed, a tiny little moment that you would like to discuss before we head into the MVP? I'm sure this is nothing, but you never know with Marvel. There seem to be a lot of dragon references in this episode. Uh, I you know, noticed there was, that there was a dragon in uh, in young Maya's, uh, you know, uh, activity book. Uh, when she was talking with her father, it was about dragons. Uh, Imagine Dragons was the band they chose to dump on uh, in there. And I feel like there was another dragon reference and I can't quite remember what it was. Um, but it seemed to be that, you know, uh, and again, you know, I'm, I'm sure this isn't going to be, you know, crossing over with Shang-Chi or anything like that. Although how cool would that be? Um, but uh uh, yeah, it, it just did seem to be a curious little thing. And, you know, it, ordinarily, you know, if you're watching a TV show, you just say, well, that's nothing. But with Marvel, you never know. That is true. And if we think about even last week, 
the role-playing thing, it was like medieval times when there yeah. would be dragons. That's interesting. Yeah. The dragon motif was heavy with Maya in the past. Like, I mean, one of the final things that her father said was like, you know, fly on, little dragon. Um, and then imagine dragons. Yeah. And there were unicorns and stuff. I have no idea how that would tie into any of this. Um, I mean, the payoff in my mind would be they go to some sort of Christmas parade, but I'm thinking of like the Macy's Thanksgiving parade where they would have the big, uh, you know, animals and all of a sudden there's a tr giant dragon there. I don't know how that would be payoff though, but, um, cause I don't feel like we're going to see real dragons on Hawkeye, not in New York. That would seem, yeah, unlikely. <laughs> yes. Although, I mean, you never know. This is the MCU and they do love to drop hints about so much. Stay tuned, listeners. So um, now it's time for the MVP, the, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Professor, who's your MVP? Pourquoi? Uh, well, there were three fantastic performances in the episode, but I think Jeremy Renner uh, was um, was my MVP. Uh, just so great, uh, you know, uh, you know, playing, you know, the slow burns, the reactions, uh, you know, just uh, just absolutely delightful. And and really, you know, as as we were talking about earlier, sort of playing up, you know, there was a real sense of, of wistfulness of him missing his family that uh, that we haven't really had before because this is you know the first episode uh where he's been away from them uh and you're really getting a sense of you know what he's giving up by being there to help kate and uh and the sense of you know the the sense of loss the sense of guilt and and you know the possibly even ptsd that he's dealing with you know from his memories of of what he did as as ronan so i think uh, jeremy renner did a great job of of portraying this not without not by talking about it but just by acting it and i thought that was very well done Fantastic choice. As much as I want to give it to my girl, Haley Steinfeld, for being fantastic in this episode, uh, the one that just shined a little brighter for me was uh, Maya Lopez. A young Maya and grown-up Maya in the present day. Uh, Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, was fantastic in every one of the scenes that we saw in props to, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, Alakwa Cox as uh, grown-up Maya Lopez. And as you said, Professor, it, it is true, uh, Darnell Bessaw, who played young Maya Lopez, is uh, her cousin. So props to both of them for really introducing this fascinating new character into the MCU. I'm here for her. I want to see more of her. I would love to see a redemptive arc for her. I don't know if we're going to get it in this series, but she does have her own series, so there is always time for redemption when you headline your own series. But as a um, sort of villainous thorn in the side of the Hawkeyes... Uh, she is doing a fantastic job, and the young little Maya was just adorable. Uh, it was, it was such an interesting way to start the episode of really allowing us to get in her shoes, and um, just props, props to the MCU, props to the writers for, and, and both actors for doing a good job with that. So now it's time to rate the episode. 
How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 arrows? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden quiver. Professor? I'm going to give it uh, a 10. I can't quite give it the golden uh, quiver simply because, as I say, I, I thought it, it ended on a bit of a down note. Uh, but that said, uh, the action was fantastic action. The character stuff was fantastic character stuff. It was moving. It was uh, evocative. I just felt it didn't quite stick the ending uh, for me. So I can't quite give it to Golden Quiver territory, but I'm, I'm comfortable giving it 10 out of 10. And I will co-sign. I'm going to give it a solid 10 as well. 10 arrows. It was fantastic. Action-packed. Suspenseful. From beginning to end, for me, uh, I did not mind how it ended. Uh, I thought everybody did a really great job. It certainly feels like we're in the middle of, like, the middle section of a movie. So everything, you know, sort of calming down after the intensity of the first two action set pieces kind of made sense to me. And it felt like, you know, I put a little pause. And as I said, I went to go and make popcorn. And I'll be back uh, to pick up to see exactly what Jack is all about uh, in, in the next episode. Um, I enjoyed it from beginning to end. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions? suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye, and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Bro. <laughs> Love it. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of The Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye, every Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night. <laughs>